Coop so much. And right up front, in case you didn't notice, not Pastor Mark. We look like twins, I know. And so that means you are saved from a week of Seahawks jokes. You're welcome to everyone. Uh, but like you said, my name is Amanda. Um, and I am the youth assistant here for our AMP youth group, which basically means that Troy, our youth pastor, bosses me around, and I'm the one that when a volunteer comes to me and they're like, I have this great idea for a game. I think it would be so awesome if we got all the kids to crowd surf. And I'm the one who's like, hey, maybe that sounds like a little dangerous. And I'm the one who makes sure that the church isn't burned down every Thursday when there's 75 to 100 teenagers in here. Uh, and so right now would probably be the time where I would like do the pastory thing and I'm like, here's a picture of my wonderful spouse and a picture of my kids, but I don't have any of those things. So instead, I brought some pictures of me and my youth girls this past year at summer camp. There's all of us. That was the last day. And so that looks all like we've all been hit by a bus. That's why we're all exhausted. It's the most exhausting thing that you can possibly do that I've ever done. Uh, and then this next one, um, yeah, that's our youth girls. They forced me to perform a rap that they wrote themselves about the Bible. And every single summer camp, I'm like, please do not put me in your talent show, like, show. Like, please do. I do not want to do it. And every year they write me into it. And so I guess that's just youth ministry as a whole, just, like, doing things that you don't want to do, that you know are going to be embarrassing and dumb. But, like, hey, maybe it'll help show a kid the love of Christ. That's what I'm hoping, at least. Uh, so here begins my shameless plug. I'm going to put it right at the top, get it out of the way. If you have a 6th or 12th grade student, or you know a student, or you are a student, and if you want to find some Christ-centered community, or they just want to have some fun and a free meal on Thursdays, join us right here every Thursday night uh, for AMP Youth Group. Uh, our first week back from the break is this Thursday. I'm pretty excited about it. And if you're not a student, but this still sounds fun to you for some reason, then come volunteer with us. It takes a lot of hands to pull it off every week, and we need people for all sorts of roles, and there's no special requirements. You don't need to be like a Bible scholar or anything. There are no age restrictions. In fact, uh, Mr. J. Martin, who I think you all know, he's not here this morning, uh, but he was a pillar for our youth group for a long, long time, and I think he is older than this town, so th there are no age restrictions. If he can do it, anyone can do it. I believe in you. But seriously, if you're passionate about your faith and growing in your faith and you want to help some kids do the same, uh, talk to me, stop by our next steps table, shoot us an email. We would really love to have you. Anyway, that's my plug out of the way. So if you've been with us uh, over this past month, you know that we are just coming out of our Advent series, and this is where we talk about the love and the hope and the joy and the peace that we are brought by the birth of Christ. And coming out of that, I wanted to share with you all what God has been teaching me through the season of Advent, just because I think it's a really powerful time where I always learn a lot, and I think it's really important to take time to reflect over what we've been learning. And reflection is especially relevant with the coming of the new year because uh, I, for one, and this might be a hot take, I don't know, I think New Year's and like the whole idea of it is kind of dumb and like kind of really annoying. I'm the youngest person on staff, but I've been labeled as a curmudgeon by everyone. 
because uh, we come out of this time where we're like supposed to be really peaceful and generous and like with our family and we basically do like a 180 into oh what didn't I achieve last year and what do I need to do this year to like be better and like get back to the grind and like work as hard as I can be the best and I feel like New Year's gives me this like emotional whiplash and it glorifies this like go 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 mentality I think instead of maybe just putting our head down and like getting back to the grind we could take some time to pause and reflect on what we've learned and what the Lord has shown us and maybe zoom out a little bit from ourselves. So would you pray with me as we begin? Dear Lord, thank you for allowing us all to be here this morning. Thank you for just giving me the opportunity to come up here and share what you've put on my heart and share what you have been teaching me. I pray that uh, my words would not be my own, but yours this morning. And we pray, amen. So like I mentioned, Advent, season of waiting, waiting for the Savior's birth and the love and the joy and the peace and the hope that it brings to us. And as I've spent the past few holiday seasons really diving into the Advent journals and all the resources that we have here during that time and intentionally looking at how Christ embodies these four things, I have found myself being constantly humbled. Uh, Advent for me is just really a hugely humbling experience because I'm the main character of my story, right? Like, it only makes sense. I'm the only me that I can be, and I'm the only person I can control. So in my mind, I'm kind of like the most important character. So if you ask to hear my story, I'm not going to start talking about someone else. I'm going to start talking about myself because I'm pretty much an inherently selfish person. And like a lot of time, like a lot of people, I spend a lot of time thinking about myself and the interactions I have and my schedule and what I need to be doing. And so Advent is really challenging for me because I don't know what version of the Bible you're reading out of, but I cannot find my name at all in mine. And it was really annoying. And not once am I mentioned at all because Advent is really not about myself or you, or any of us. So then how am I still trying to make myself this main character? As I'm reading the series of Advent, uh, as I'm reading the scriptures, I am constantly trying to figure out how I fit into all of this. How does this apply to me today? What do I need to get out of it? And these are not necessarily bad things to be thinking of, but I feel like it can turn me into that person who has to make everything about themselves. And maybe you know someone like this. It seems like they don't really need you to have a conversation. They're more like talking at you instead of talking with you. And they like bring every single thing that you say like back to something really cool about themselves. And they're kind of like that relative that you get like stuck on the phone with. And you're just like, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, great. And then it's like 45 minutes later and you find yourself like doing the dishes or vacuuming because this conversation is clearly one-sided and you could probably like hang up and they wouldn't notice for a half an hour. Like this, I often find myself trying to be the center of Christ's story. When I open my word and I read about his birth and read about the gifts of Advent, I'm trying to figure out what does this have to do with me? What do I need to be getting out of this? How does this apply to my life right now? What do I need to be doing better or different? I often find myself going into my quiet time with the Lord with an agenda or to-do list, a series of questions and requests for God. 
And I don't think this is necessarily awful or malicious. God wants us to bring all requests to him. We see that plain as day in the scripture. But I do think it can be somewhat counterproductive and maybe not the best motivation that we can be bringing before the Lord. Because the truth is, I am not vital to the story. I have no role to play. Truth is, my works aren't needed. I'm really not the focus. But what I want us to see here is that our irrelevance in this narrative is not disheartening, but one of great joy and freedom. Because there's nothing I can do or need to do because it's already done. And this is a concept that we call justification. Uh, this is something a lot of people, a lot smarter than me, have spent a really long time studying. Uh, but we're just going to look at it a little bit this morning. So turn with me to Romans chapter 3. And I always like to remind my youth students the importance of basing everything off of scripture. Because if the word of God isn't our basis, then that means myself and my own wisdom are the basis. And really, like, no one needs that. So beginning in verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So this idea of justification, uh, in the verses, it's the Greek word dikaiosis. This is the act of God by which he pardons all sins of those who believe in Christ and accounts, accepts, and entreats them as righteous in the eyes of the law. And this is what Paul, the author of Romans, is trying to talk to us about, uh, that Christ made a way for us to be made not only right, but righteous in the eyes of God without being perfect at all. And because of that, and because of believing and placing our faith in God, that's all we need, no matter who we are. Uh, and this is so foundational that if you've been in or around the church for like any amount of time, you're probably like, this seems very overly basic, a little bit of Jesus 101, like who hasn't heard this a million times, right? Uh, but I have been challenged, and I want to extend this question to you all today, uh, which is, are we willing to do just this? Are we willing to do only this, just bring our faith? Are we able to make ourselves less? Are we willing to make what we are seeking, what we are trying to achieve, what we are trying to prove less, and come to Christ with just ourselves? Am I willing to bring just myself, broken, incapable, imperfect, and accept what he's done for me? Because what I've seen is that new believers struggle with knowing that they aren't good enough for God. Uh, but those that have been walking with their faith for some time struggle with thinking that they have to be good enough for God. And I've had to ask myself, am I willing to bring just myself? Am I willing to be so humbled? So now let's move on to Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. 
What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something that they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for the circumcised gen uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. So in these scriptures, we see that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, in the time that Paul's talking about in this time of Abraham, circumcision was considered the entry point to a life lived under Jewish law. It was required as a first step for the Jewish people as they tried to live in right standing with God as much as they could. Uh, but this verse in Romans is actually a quote from Genesis chapter 15. And at the time Abraham, at the time that Abraham was being declared righteous, uh, he would not be circumcised for several years until Genesis chapter 17, actually. His actions were not part of the equation. Scripture again and again points to how we should not and cannot try to justify ourselves to God. By bringing anything more than ourselves, by trying to appease God, by trying to work for this love and joy and peace and hope, we make ourselves the center of the story. I put the focus on who I am and what I'm doing and what I need to do instead of who he is and what he has done. And it can be so easy from here to fall into a pattern of what Philippians 2 calls selfish ambition and vain conceit. When we try to do this, when we try to justify ourselves, we are in fact rejecting Christ's own sacrifice. We're saying it's not needed. We're saying that I think I can probably do enough to earn it, right? Going back to Romans 4, uh, verse 4, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something that they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. We see here that a sacrifice by definition is not something that can be worked for. Romans 3.25 says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So apologies in advance. I'm kind of a nerd. I love researching things. So I went on a little bit of a deep dive into the idea of sacrifice and what this word really means. So just like hang in there with me for a second. Biblically speaking, uh, sacrifice was an offering of atonement for our sins. The most pure, the most perfect animal was taken, and this loss of life, this shedding of blood, was meant to be reconciliation, a coming together, a mending of the broken bond between us and God. And the priest would take this blood, and he would sprinkle it on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant on what's called the mercy seat. And uh, the Greek word for this lid, for this mercy seat, hilasterion, is the same word that is actually used to describe Christ as a sacrifice in Romans 3.25. Christ became the mercy seat, 
And we see how all this time of sacrificing, all this time leading up to it was a mere foreshadowing of the ultimate offering, of the ultimate sacrifice that Christ gave on the cross. Because the law, the needing for the righting of our wrongs, the needing for atonement for our sins, uh, in order to live a life with God, this law was not relaxed or set aside, but it was declared to be fulfilled in the strictest sense. And all of this serves to show how Christ's coming and his sacrifice and the gifts of Advent are given freely and they're given unconditionally. But when we choose to make ourselves the center of the story, when we choose to bring our preconceived ideas of what we need to be and what we need to do, we don't accept his sacrifice. And this robs us of the love and the joy and the peace and the hope that Christ came to give us, these gifts that are free, these gifts that we may find ourselves working and striving and searching so desperately for. A uh, question that I've had to ask myself a lot uh, in my faith and one that I've asked to students and to friends is, do you feel like your faith has become a burden to you? And I really wish that there were less times when that answer was yes. Uh, because I find myself getting so frustrated and asking, why am I not feeling God right now? Why am I not finding his peace and his joy and his love? I'm trying so hard, and I'm doing everything I can, and I'm working so hard, and I'm putting myself under so much pressure, and it'd just be so much easier if I didn't have to deal with all this anymore, and what am I doing wrong? And I find myself not following Christ as much as I am following what I think I need to be, what I think that he needs me to be. And I'm focusing on who I am and my anxieties and my worries, and I'm saying, well, if I'm not feeling him, that I must just be doing something wrong, right? And I'm carrying the weight of all of that, so no wonder my faith feels like a burden, because that is a lot to carry. And everything in this situation is pointing back to myself. It's all pointing to me. It's all centered around me instead of him. And when that time comes, and when I'm at the end of my rope, so many times he has gently and graciously come to me and he says, hey, he says, hey, just be with me. Just know me. Just seek me. He says that his love and his joy and ultimately my salvation don't come from anything I can do but just saying yes. And I can live in this freedom and the freedom of knowing that it does not depend on me, that this story is not about me, that I can't add or take away from what he's done. I can know that I am so small and seemingly insignificant in the light of his story, and that that is not something that is downputting, but something that is amazing, and that I am immensely blessed by and thankful for. So in all of us, what is our so what? That's another question I like to ask youth students all the time. So what? Because I, or Pastor Cooper, or especially Pastor Mark, could stand up here all day and talk your ears off. Uh, but at the end of it, so what? What, with this knowledge that we've just received, what are we going to take from it? What are we going to do with it? Well, next week, like uh, Cooper talked about, we and a lot of Foursquare churches around the Northwest are going to be starting a new series on prayer and fasting. And again, I think that my initial thought going into this, maybe that's just me because I 
think so much is uh, initially going to being that annoying relative on the phone again to start thinking about, well, what do I want this time to look like and what do I want to get out of it and what do I need to be doing in this time? And my challenge to us and honestly the challenge to myself is to maybe take a step back for a little bit, to make myself less, remove what I'm trying to be and what I'm working towards and what I'm fighting to be and rest in what Christ has already done. Because God's sovereignty and his power and what he did on the cross persists outside of myself and my actions, whether those actions be for or against him. And by knowing that, by knowing that we're not the end-all, be-all, by removing ourselves from the center of the narrative, we're able to have the freedom that Christ intended for us. We're able to receive this love and joy and peace and hope that Christ intended. And we're able to work from these things and not for them. We're able to have them on our side. And so I challenge us to focus on him and his story and maybe put our own self and agenda aside. Because when our joy and our hope and our love are made complete in Christ, there's nothing that needs to be added. Nothing for myself. I don't need to bring any of my own stuff to that. So would you pray with me as we close out? Dear Lord, thank you for your sacrifice and thank you for your gifts of Advent that are given freely and unconditionally and extend to everyone. I pray that as we enter into a season of prayer and fasting, that we would be reminded to make ourselves less and to make you greater. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for being here. In the new year, I know it's really cold outside and you don't want to leave your house, so thank you for being here. Uh, and again, you might notice that Mark and Kate are not here this morning, but I just like really didn't want to break with tradition. So we actually have a little video of Pastor Mark to close us out this morning. Always remember, always remember, remember, always remember. Jesus loves you very much. 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 So do Kate and I. So do Kate and I. So do Kate and I. Have a great week. Have a great week. Have a great week.